Hello, and welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where the Word of God is experienced in a fresh new way. Prepare yourself to hear God's Word talk with simplicity and understanding. And now, here's your host, Cliff Goldberg. Hey, 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 what's going on, family? What's going on, family? Welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. I am your host, Cliff Gobert. You know how we get it down. You know how we get it started. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this Word. We thank you for the opportunity to hear a word from you. Uh, Not just the Word, but the Word behind the Word. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is even now preparing our hearts to hear a word that's going to change our lives from the inside out. We thank you, God, for how you love us, how you're with us, and how you are for us in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of great times, in the middle of tough times, in the middle of uh, trying times, in the middle of blessed times. You are still with us. And uh, God, we thank you. It gives us such peace to know that you are our advocate. You are our strength and our buckler. You are our rock. You are our strong tower. You are our shelter. And so, God, we lean on you. We rely on you. Our hope, our confident hope is in you. Now, God, as we uh, prepare to receive this word, God, we declare that no weapon formed against this time shall prosper. We declare that every word will hit the hearer right where they need to uh, hit it, (laughs) right where they need to hear it, right where they need to receive it, that it be deposited right in that spot that it be a word of life for those who hear it. We declare every ear anointed to hear, every heart open to receive. We declare that your will be done during this time and that no word that will proceed out of my mouth uh, will be the word, every word that proceeds out of my mouth will be the word that your people need to hear. Thank you, God. We praise you. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you. We declare these things to be so in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, fam. So last time we were together, I started a series called Spiritual Mythbusters, and uh, we just took some phrases and church cliches that were, some of them were kind of a little off from the word, some of them were, you know, out of context, and we wanted to just kind of put things back in place spiritually, scripturally. Um, uh, I talked about the difference between accuracy and precision, and oftentimes uh, the body of Christ has been satisfied with spiritual accuracy but uh, it's the spiritual uh, precision that brings the impact in the life of a believer I believe and I believe that because I'm a believer all right um, and so um, I knew I had quite a few of these myth busters or myths that I wanted to bust <laughs> and so I, I just went in knowing that I was going to split this up into two parts. So today we're getting into part two of spiritual myth busters. I feel like I should have a echo chamber or something. Spiritual whoa, 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 myth busters. All right. Um, to make this happen. All right. Everybody ready? Are we ready? Are we good? Now, as I said, uh, the last time we were together with part one, it is not my intent to offend anyone. It is not my intent to criticize uh, anyone. Um, but I just want to. I just want to do my part to make sure that the people of God have a clear, precise understanding 
of the things that we say in church and and you know you know somebody heard it from somebody else that heard it from somebody else and all of a sudden it's almost doctrine and in some of these cases it's not even scripture right and so we want to make sure that we rightly divide the word of truth um i think one of the uh one of the translations i used uh for rightly dividing was rightly handling and skillfully skillfully teaching correctly analyzing and accurately dividing the word of truth because when we do that now we are using our weapon in its maximum capacity if somebody and this is kind of a, a weird uh, analogy and, and again don't be offended by it but if somebody has a pistol and they beat somebody with the pistol well it it's, it has an effect but the pistol is not designed to beat somebody with okay the pistol is designed to fire a bullet to do a greater damage and so we want to take this word and we want to fire it properly to do appropriate damage to the enemy appropriate damage to wrong mindsets appropriate damage to strongholds okay we have to use the word of god in the manner that it was created to do the maximum damage to the kingdom of darkness all right and if we used it if we use it incorrectly beating people over the head with the bible and oftentimes using it in the wrong context oftentimes trying to use it to to manipulate people into doing things that's not the, what the word of god was designed for the word of god was designed to change the lives of people from the inside out the word of god was designed to uh, show the love of god to mankind the word of god was used is used to create poetry and an amazing language to communicate the love that god has for us and and the reality of the grace of god and what jesus did on the cross and and how we can come into fellowship with god and then once we come into fellowship with god how we are supposed to live as godly people who are the righteousness of god teaching us how to be people of love people of graciousness uh, I was in my Sunday school class this morning and, and we had a lesson and I was able to apply the lesson when I went out to uh, do my grocery shopping today, right? We are supposed to take this word, allow it to change us and help us to make adjustments and then we go out and we be the salt and the light that the word says we are supposed to be. But we can't do that and we can't be that if we don't accurately and precisely understand and apply the word of God to our lives, all right? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with church cliches, and you know, if they, they make you feel good or things of this nature. But if it's not coming from the word or if it's not coming from the word with the right accuracy or the right context, it has no spiritual value, all right? So, uh, last time we looked at, uh, we just do a quick, quick review. Last time we looked at the myth that says money is the root of all evil and we talked about money is the answer for everything and the scripture sp specifically says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil uh, we talked it talks about the struggle to be rich in the struggle to be rich people have lost their way people have lost their faith and caused themselves untold agonies of mind which is what one translation says then we looked at the myth that says when the praises go up, the blessings come down. And uh, in Psalms 22 and 3, he says that God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. 
and that he makes out his home in the praises of Israel. And somebody said, well, Cliff, ain't that the same thing? If God shows up, the blessings show up. Yeah, but we want to pay more attention to the blesser showing up than just the blessing showing up. See, what it does is it, 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 it kind of puts in my mind, if I praise God, I get what I want. As, I, as opposed to, if I praise God, he'll come into my situation. See, when God comes into my situation, it's about more than getting what's on my Christmas list. It's about the presence of God showing up and bringing his wisdom, his perspective, right? His way of doing things and his instructions. And in doing those things, I find myself getting the desires of my heart, right? The scripture says, if you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. So, so we don't want to separate the blessing from the blesser. And think that praise brings us the blessing without the blesser. We want the blesser. Because if we get the blesser, he's going to bring the blessings with him. And the blessings are going to be more than the things we want. The blessings is going to, are going to be his way of seeing this thing. And now when I see it God's way, I may not even want that thing I was praising him for. Right? This is not magic. You don't rub the, a lamp and get what you want. All right? We praise God for who he is. We're thankful to God for what he does. And we understand that when we do that, his presence shows up. And when his presence shows up, his presence show up. Right? You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? All right. The third myth we looked at was the myth that said tomorrow is not promised. And there were various scriptures that speak on uh, the promise of long life. Exodus 20 and 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. Uh, Psalms 91 and 16, uh, I will deliver him and honor him, and with long life will I satisfy him, which translates length of days. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 says, Do not forget my law, but let your, let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. All right? Um, James, now, we, we, we talked about how James talked about, don't say tomorrow you're going to do this, Right? And what it does is the arrogance of believing I'm going to do such and such a thing without considering God may have different plans for our lives. God may have a different plan for tomorrow. God may have a different plan for next week. So the context that James is looking at this is don't make plans without considering the plan of God for your life. Right. And I think out of James 4, 13 uh, through 15, um, uh, we get this whole concept of uh, tomorrow's not promised. And, you know, it's not about tomorrow's not promised. It's about don't look at tomorrow without considering God's plan. Okay? All right. So those are the ones that we looked at on, well, the last time we were together. Okay? Um, and so now we want to get into part two of the Mythbusters. And uh, the first myth I want to look at today, um, if you've been in church any amount of time, uh, you may have heard this phrase that praise confuses the enemy. Praise confuses the enemy. And the implication in that statement is, if I praise God, when I praise God, Satan is confused. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this, right? 
And actually, I want to thank a sister of mine who kind of gave me insights to where this statement comes from. So let's let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. I think this may be, if not my favorite story in the Bible, it's in the top two or three stories in the Bible. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. All right, Second Chronicles 20. 21 through 23 says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So this is what happened. King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sent out the praise team to the front line. They began to sing and they began to praise God. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And in the doing of that, it brought, again, when we praise God, his presence shows up. The presence of God showed up and caused confusion. And, uh, you know, the script, the word, the Bible uses the word ambush, uh, caused confusion amongst the army that was coming against Judah. He caused confusion against the enemy, right? The praise of the people brought confusion to the enemy. But, but when we say enemy here, we, I don't believe we can take enemy here and translate it to Satan. Okay? Praise may confuse people that are coming against you, right? Praise may bring a confusion to an adversary in the natural. But to say that praise confuses Satan, I don't think that there's any spiritual value going down that road. Does that mean I shouldn't praise God in the middle of my enemies? No, that's not what it means. But to say that praise confuses Satan, to take the word enemy and translate it into praise confuses Satan, I don't think that's a statement that has any spiritual value. Satan's not confused. It may back him off. It may back off his plans against us, all right, because he can't inhabit the praise of God like God can have inhabit his praise, all right? But does that confuse him? No, no, that doesn't confuse him. Well, does it back him off? Yeah, probably so. Will it confuse somebody else? who's standing in front of you or standing around you while you're praising God and they're getting ready to, you know, do some stuff to you. Maybe I've never praised God right before somebody was about to attack me. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, 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 but my point is when, when, when the statement is given, praise confuses the enemy. Oftentimes when I've heard it, the implication is praise confuses, confuses Satan. And that's, that's, that, yeah, that's not, that's not, I don't believe that's accurate. Okay. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put that one right there. I got some heavy ones 
for this one, man. I got some heavy ones. I got <laughs> I got some heavy myths, and um, yeah, I'm 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 being led to share this, and so I'm going to share it. And and I my prayer is that you listen to this, you check out the scriptures for yourself, you examine it for yourself, you go to the Holy Spirit yourself, and have Him bring insight. Whether you know the Holy Spirit says, yeah, that dude was right, or Read a little deeper. He was right, but he wasn't quite right. You know, let the Holy Spirit t- talk to you about the accuracy and precision of these statements. All right, all right. Whew, man, I'm walking, I'm walking uh, on eggshells today <laughs> because I know that these are a lot of these cliches and these statements are all through the body of Christ, man, like a virus. And, and, and they don't have any spiritual value or they have minimum spiritual value. We want to hit this thing and make sure every time we talk that every word that we say either comes from a place of love or comes from a place of act, uh, precision to make sure that we're doing the most damage to the kingdom of darkness that we can. All right. All right. Here's the next statement. And y'all ready for this one? Ah, man. Oof. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next statement. Only what you do for Christ will last. I don't even, I don't even, you know, I've heard that all my life. And there was a very famous gospel group uh, back in the 80s and 90s that sang a song that said, only what you do for Christ will last. And again, I'm not against anybody. I'm, but that, what does that mean? What does that mean? Only what you do for Christ will last. So, so the things that 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 our great great grandparents did for us, they don't last. All only what you do for Christ will. What does that mean? So let's go to scripture here, and and let's. I believe that this is where it comes from. I believe this is where it comes from, and we're just gonna rightly divide this, and and you know. Make this thing. I know, cause I'm. Some of you who are listening right now, are going, "What? Well, yeah, isn't that true? Only what you do for Christ will last. Ain't that in the Bible? Only what you do for Christ will last. That's not in the Bible. But this statement is. Jesus talks about this. We're in Matthew chapter six now, verses nineteen and twenty. Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen and twenty. Right. Uh, Matthew six, nineteen and twenty. When you're there, say amen. <laughs> All right. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. All right. Uh, verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, the Passion Translation says, don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. Okay, so I'm going to read this again. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, 
decays and loses its value. So it seems here he's talking about don't spend your life going after material things. And even he says uh, in, in the sermon, the same sermon, um, the seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will uh, be added to you. Right. So we don't have to ch chase after things. If we chase after God, things will chase after us, especially the things that we need. And because that's what he was talking about. Don't worry about what you shall eat and what you shall drink and what you shall wear and where you shall live. Right. The, the, the Gentiles, the heathen uh, chases after all of those things. Right. So he says, now don't hoard for yourselves earthly treasures because earthly things can be stolen. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. How many times you brought a, bought a brand new car, drove it off the lot, right? And then they talk about as soon as you drive it off the lot, it depreciates in value, okay? And eventually, it's going to rust out. Well, you know, California may not rust out. It just may wear out, okay? Um, it's going to decay. The most beautiful home you could ever imagine, 150 years later, there's some decay, even if it's still standing, all right, but the value of the thing doesn't last forever. And he says, now instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. I think this is where they got the well, only what you do for Christ will last. All right, but we want to narrow this down because there, I don't see any practicality in that. What does that mean, only what you do for Christ will last? Somebody will say, well, if, when you pray, that will last. Well, when you fast, that will last. When you read the Bible and you get in God's presence, that's all great. But I want to narrow it down so we can know exactly, practically what we're talking about. Okay? So, the question comes out now, what exactly are treasures in heaven? Okay? Now, a commentary here says that heavenly treasures are eternal reality because we're not supposed to chase after material things we're supposed to stockpile heavenly treasures right so we're not stockpiling earthly treasures we're stockpiling heavenly treasures right treasures in heaven so what does that look like heavenly treasures are eternal realities such as here we go loving others and doing good all right, that's a heavenly treasure. I can stockpile now loving others and doing good. I can do that, right? Revealing truth. Oh, I can do that, right? Somebody comes with a, with they, well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. I can reveal truth. No, that's not quite what the scripture says. What the scripture says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? It's the love of money. Now I can start revealing truth, right? Well, Jesus was just a man. No, he wasn't a man. He was the savior of mankind. He was the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Well, if he was the sacrifice for sins of mankind, then everybody is saved, right? No. See, we can reveal truth. It's faith in Jesus now that brings salvation, right? Now I can reveal truth. Hey, that's a heavenly treasure. I can do that, right? Bringing, here we go. So loving others, doing good, Revealing truth and bringing Christ's light to the lost. Hey, I can do that. I can share the love of God with someone. I can share what Jesus did for them. I can do that. That's a heavenly treasure. Right? And he says now in this commentary, none of these treasures, 
can be stolen or ever lose their value. See, loving people can't be stolen and loving people can't lose its value. Doing good to people doesn't lose its value. Revealing truth to people won't lose its value. And nobody can steal the love you have for someone, right? That can't be stolen. It's not going to rust. It's not going to decay. It's not going to lose its value. Revealing truth has an everlasting value. There have been truths that have been revealed to me, not necessarily by godly people, that I keep with me to this day. In, in junior high school, I was, we were learning how to play our instruments, and, and the band teacher told everybody to put your instruments away. I played a cornet, which is a small trumpet. Put your instrument away and pull out your mouthpiece. And he taught us that, that we have to learn how to put air through the mouthpiece first before we start trying to play the horn. Because once we learn how to put the air through the mouthpiece, the air is automatically going to go through the horn properly. right? And it was about process. And it was about procedure. Now, that was something, that was truth that was shared to a 13-year-old boy that a 50-something-year-old man still operates in. That's treasure in heaven. That's a heavenly treasure, right? So when we start talking about this now, you know, we talk about, well, only what you do for Christ will last. Well, what does that mean? Loving people will last. Doing good to people will last. Revealing truth to people will last. Sharing the light of Christ to the lost, those things last. So, 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 uh, yeah, I'll make that. Away with this cliche, and let's get to the truth of what Jesus is talking about, and now we're going to know how to walk this thing out. Instead of walking around with this spiritual statement that has no value, I don't know how to walk it out, but I do know how to love people. And if I don't know how to love people, I can go to the Word of God and learn how to love people. And if I can't even go to the Word of God, check how God loves me, and I can use that model to love other people. That's the thing that's going to last. Amen? Amen. Y'all with me? All right. All right. Whew. <laughs> Heavy, man. It's a heavy show today. <laughs> All right. Here comes another one. All right. Here's the statement. If you find anything that's in me that's not like you, God, take it out. And there's a song that's about that, right? If you find anything in me that's not like you, take it out and straighten me. I want to be saved. I want to be right. I want to be saved. I want to be whole, right? Sounds great, man. It sounds like the it sounds like it's coming from a humble heart. But that's not quite what the scripture is saying. Okay, so 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 let's look at it. Let's go to Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. This kind of blew my mind when I saw it, because I thought it was just something somebody made up. But it is part of a scripture, but the ending of it is not the same. And and the challenge I have with this statement is. We're waiting for God to take something out of us. That God has given us the resources to remove ourselves. Matter of fact, in my Sunday school class today, we were reading James chapter 1. And he talks about removing filthiness and taking things out of our lives. Right? I think in Colossians, it may be uh, where Paul talks about taking off certain things and putting on love. 
right? And so if I'm, if I'm waiting for God to take something out of me, that I have the ability to take out, quote unquote, take out myself, I'm going to end up stuck with things in me that shouldn't be in me. Thinking that, Lord, remove it from me. Just take it out of me. Just take it out of me. Mm-mm. That's our responsibility. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us discipline to be able to do those things ourselves. All right? <sighs> Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. <laughs> All right, here we go. Psalms 139, verses 23 through 24. All right? Psalms 139, verses 23 through 24. Verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. Sounds about like the statement, right? But watch the flip. See if there is any way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Not take it out. Lead me in the way that I get through it or that I, that I can get it out myself. Lead me. Don't take it out. Lead me. So give me instructions. Give me perspective. Give me wisdom. Show me how to walk this thing out where I'm not doing it anymore. I think I've shared this a few times, you know, when I was younger, man, every other word out of my mouth was a curse word. And I grew up in a Christian household. And, and you know, many times in my 20s, I would say to myself, oh, man, I, I got to stop cussing. I got to stop cussing. And I might stop for, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And then something would happen or make me angry and I'm right back to doing it again. Right? It's almost like Paul, how he was in Romans chapter 7. The thing that I want to do, I can't do it. And the thing I, I, I don't, I'm not supposed to do is what I end up doing. Right? But as I, as I got to a point spiritually, uh, it hit me that, okay, I need to stop doing this. God help me. Right? Lead me in the way everlasting. And what came to me was... To begin to practice, okay, well, if I'm not going to say the curse word when I'm frustrated, what word am I going to say? And I started coming up with vocabulary to express my frustration or to, vocabulary to express my anger or vocabulary to express my excitement. I mean, I cussed on all, about all kinds of stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And, and now it's to a point where some, some, some years ago, uh, my play sister and I were talking and we were talking about cursing and she said, brother, cursing when it don't even sound right coming out of your mouth. Right. How did that happen? Did God take cursing out of me? No, he led me in the way of everlasting and gave me a path. Oh, God, that's good. He gave me a path that would lead from where I was to where I wanted to be, to where he gave me a path that led from Every other word out of my mouth is a curse word to curse words don't even sound right coming out of my mouth, right? There was a path that he put me on that led me in that direction, okay? There's a path. So it's not about God take it out. It's about God lead me out. 
lead me out of sex. Lead me out of getting drunk. Lead me out of doing, you know, want to get people back and having revenge. Lead me out of having a temper all the time. Lead me to a place of peace. Lead me to a place of celibacy. Lead me to a place of gender uh, reintegration. Lead me to the place that's away from where I am. If you see anything wicked, now that word wicked, I believe is the same word we get, wicker, furniture, twisted. If you see anything twisted in me, lead me to the place where I can get it untwisted. Right? That phrase, if you find anything in me that's not like you take it out, to me, it creates spiritual laziness. God's going to do it. I don't have to do anything. The battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. Yeah. But when God puts the weapon in your hand, man, it's time to fight. So, so if you find anything that's that in me that's not like you, lead me to the place where that thing is no longer a part of my lifestyle. No part, no longer a part of my lifestyle. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Don't worry, I got another one. <laughs> I got a couple more. All right, here we go. Oh, man. And this one actually, this next statement caught me by surprise because I had heard it. You know, now you, 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 you're listening to a guy who's been in church as far back as he can remember, four or five years old. Okay. I've been around a lot of churches and a lot of church folks. I used to sing in a gospel group. We sang in a lot of different churches. I've heard, I've heard them all. I've heard all the cliches, okay? And I heard this one, and I thought it was right on the money. And then I looked it up one day, and was my jaw dropped. I'm like, wow. All right, so here it is. And you, if you're new to church, you may not have heard this one. If you've been around a while, you not only have you heard it, maybe you've said it. Here we go. It says, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. That's the statement. That's the myth. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. All right. Now, anytime I've heard someone use this statement, and I mean every time, the implication is one believer can put a thousand demons to flight and two believers can put 10,000 to flight. So let's, let's touch and agree, which is another one, which I, uh, mm, uh, maybe we have to do a part three. <laughs> so let's, let's come together. Let's touch and agree because one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, right? First of all, Jesus didn't say touch and agree. He said agree as touching. And what he's talking about is connection. So he's not talking about let's, let's, let's touch hands. Let's touch and agree. No, let's stand in agreement. That, that is the precise phrase. Let's stand in agreement on this particular thing. All right, my godmother and I do that a lot. You know, she's got an issue. She said, I need you to stand in agreement with me that blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, Nana, I, I agree, right? Because agreement has power, spiritual power, right? But this whole thing, well, come on, let's touch and agree because one can put a 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. That, okay, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 28 through 30. Deuteronomy 32, 28 through 30. We got to bust these myths, man, so we can be spiritually precise, 
so we can bust the devil upside the head and we can walk in the authority and the impact that God has designed for us to have. All right. Deuteronomy 32, 28 through 30. Now, again now, this phrase, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight, is in this scripture. But the context is very different from what, you know, most people use this for. So here we go. Deuteronomy 32, 28 through 30. For they are a nation void of counsel. Nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? So the context is he's talking about the children of Israel who are getting a beat down. And he says, at this point in the nation of Israel's lives, they are a nation void of counsel. There's no understanding in them. If they were wise, they understood this and they would consider their latter end. Trying to do things without God does not end well. That, that's the theme of what he's talking about. And then he makes it more specific. How in the world could one chase a thousand to flight and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? Now that word rock has a capital R and the word Lord is in all caps. And for those who, you know, biblical scholars understand when the word Lord is written in all caps, he's talking about God. Some people will use the word Yahweh. Um, the Hebrew language has no vowels, so the A and the E actually aren't there, but we're talking about God, right? So the only way that these people could, the only way that one could chase a thousand and two could chase ten thousand is if God has left them and the Lord had surrendered them, okay? He's not talking about one believer can chase a thousand demons and two believers can chase 10,000 demons. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that the only way a small number can beat a large number of God's people is if God has left them. And the only way God can leave them really is if they leave God. Because he said, I'll never leave a forsake you. But their disobedience, their idolatry to other gods created a situation where God had taking their, their, his hands off of them in the Old Testament. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 30 in the voice translation. And this really, you know, it brings it out for me. He says, how could one of their enemies pursue a thousand of them and two of their enemies make 10,000 of them run away unless their rock had abandoned them, unless the eternal had handed them over? The only way one can chase a thousand of God's people and two can make 10,000 of God's people run away is if God is no longer with them. That's the point of that statement. It's not one believer can chase a thousand demons and two believers can chase 10,000 demons. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. Now, is there power in agreement? Absolutely. 
Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered together, I am in the midst. Right? Uh, in Genesis, I believe, chapter 11, when they were building the Tower of Babel, God said he had, to, he had to separate them because he said when the people are together, there is nothing they can accomplish. In Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1, you had 120 people in the upper room, and the Bible says they were in one place and of one mind. And that's where the Holy Spirit was introduced into the earth, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was birthed in that place, in the place of agreement. All right? So agreement has power. And when believers come together in agreement, God shows up and now things can get done in a way that they couldn't get done if they were separate. Okay? So, so agreement, yes. Agree as touching and not touch and agree, yes. And, you know, yeah, I, I just have to say it the way it's flowing out of me. Listen, we, let's touch and agree. No, let's stand in agreement. Let's not be accurate. Let's be precise. Well, Cliff, you know, it means the same thing. Yeah, but in, in the minds of many believers, the accuracy as opposed to the precision doesn't hit the bullseye. And too many times I believe we get stuck on these accurate cliches and we really don't see any spiritual movement or impact and somewhere along the line, uh, we lose our impact. We, we, we stop believing. We may keep coming to church. We may keep reading the Bible. We may keep being saved. But we really stop believing in the power and the authority that God has given us through the Word of God. And we'll get emotional and, and pray emotional prayers and jump and shout and praise God. No spiritual impact whatsoever. None whatsoever. And God has given us authority in this earth to be his light bearers, to be his salt carriers, to have impact and influence in the, in the world, to take what's upside down and make it right side up. And I think this is one of the ways that we can do this consistently when we really truly understand what we're saying. And if what we're saying is off, let's get to being more precise. Let's hit the bullseye where this stuff is concerned. Amen. All right, last one, and it is it is the appropriate last one because it is a statement that's oftentimes used uh, at the end of a church service. Uh, I believe it's called the mispah, um, but it's been used oftentimes in benedictions. And uh, <laughs> I know some of you already know where I'm going. May the Lord watch between me and thee. While we're absent, one from the other. Right? I know you look at it, Cliff, what's wrong with that? That's what we always say. It's, you know, we grew up after the 3 o'clock service and the such and such musical and the uh, Usher Board Number 2's anniversary musical. That's what we always say at the end of it. May the Lord watch. Put the right hand up. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent, one from the other. Now, that sounds like a wonderful last thing that we want to say to one another. May the Lord watch between me and ye, thee while we're absent from one another. Be safe, brother. I love you. God bless you. Right? And we go our way. Sounds, and that for, for decades, that's what I thought it was. 
Can we use it? <sighs> if we under... Yeah, you can use it, but that's not what it... That's not the context that it was written in. So let's look at the context. Because the context is very, very different. It's very different. If it was slightly different, I wouldn't even trip about this. But, but the difference between what we think that means and what it actually means, it's night and day. So let's go to Genesis 31, verses 44 through 50. Gen Genesis 31, verses 44 through 50. All right. Genesis 31, verse 44, verse 44 says, Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob, Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made an heap, and they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it, Jeger, Jeger Sahadutha, Jeger Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. That's the, that is the Mizpah, right? Now watch this, verse 50. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. The context is, we don't necessarily trust one another. So because we don't necessarily trust one another, May the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent from one another. Because if you shall afflict my daughter, or you shall take other wives beside my daughter, no man is with us. So I can't, I, I can't see you, but God sees you. So since I can't see you, but God does see you, may the Lord watch between me and thee when we're absent one from another. Because you might do something that I don't see that's not right. You may afflict one of my daughters. This is Laban talking to Jacob. Or you may take other wives beside my daughters. And you're doing wrong and I don't see it, but God sees it. So we're going to make this pledge. The Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. Watch this. Watch this. This is in the message translation, verses 49 and 50. Because I, I know some of you are going, ah, Cliff, yeah, but you know, the Lord watch. Keep us safe. He's not talking about keep us safe. He's talking about watch over us to make sure we don't do anything wrong against the other person. Verse 49 and 50 in the message translation says, May the Lord keep watch between us, watch this, to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. See, may the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. Verse 50, if you mistreat my daughters or if you marry other wives, God will see to it even if no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. There you go. See, we got a covenant. But I don't necessarily trust you. So the Lord is going to...
take care of this thing. If if you if you do me wrong, uh, we're saying God's gonna take care of you because I can't see you. May the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. Because I don't trust you, but I do trust God. Right? That's very different from may the Lord keep us safe while we're separate from one another. That's a very very different thing. Now. I don't want to get into the history of the Mizpah and people using it and things of this nature. Do we want God to keep us safe while we're separated from one another? Of course we do. But do we want to use this scripture as the basis for that? Not based on what it's, what it's about. This is about two guys who are making a covenant who don't necessarily trust one another. I don't want that to be the basis of my the last thing that I say to you to, to may the Lord keep you safe. Let's go with may the Lord watch over you and keep you safe and, and grant you peace. And uh, I think it's a scripture in Psalms, right? Let's let's use a scripture that's <laughs> designed to speak health and designed to speak safety, right? And designed to speak God cover you and protect you while you go your way. Let's use, there's plenty of scriptures in the Bible that will do that. Instead of using something now that, that was spoken during a covenant between two guys who don't necessarily trust one another. Who are related to one another. I think Laban and Jacob, Laban was Jacob's uncle, second uh, uh, great uncle. Okay. So, so we want to make sure that we do this thing right, man. We want to make sure that we do this thing right. And, and, and listen. I love everybody. I love you guys. I love those who've come before us. I know some of these things have been said by well-meaning people, and um, they, their their motivation was not to get us off track and off course where understanding the scriptures are concerned or Christian statements are concerned, but we've gotten off course. Whether it was by well-meaning people or deceitful people, we've gotten off course. And And I think studying up on these words and and understanding these statements will allow us to get back on course. And um, so, so, so let's use this as a motivation to rightly divide the word of truth, right? Let's use it as a motivation to really get an understanding of what the word of God says so we can apply it properly to our lives. And let's do away with these spiritual myths. And let's bust these myths that have no spiritual value. Amen? All right, that's all I got for you guys today. I hope you learned something. I hope it motivated you to dig deeper into the Word. And I hope it motivated you to tune in next time to the Word Experience Podcast where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time. Peace. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that what you heard will start you on a journey of change and transformation. If you'd like to communicate with Cliff with a question or a comment, you can do so via email at clifftalk 63 at gmail.com. That's clifftalks, the number 63, at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. God bless, and we'll see you next time on The Word Experience.